Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey everybody, Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now, back here at SAPIC's Annual Conference 2023 in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Joining me for this segment, we have Ken Titmus. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Scott. Glad to have you in Cape Town. Well, you know, and that's the right way of putting it because you've been here for almost 40 years yep. and you haven't missed a conference. 35 conferences, 35 right? conferences, yeah. All right, so I'm not sure. There's a wealth of information. We're not going to get to all of it here today. But I want to start with, um, you know, beyond all those things, uh, I told you about our two-decade rule. We've yeah. got to supply you now. We're going to break that, unfortunately. Because, Ken, you bring 50 years of operations and supply chain management to the table. That is remarkable. You've, you've been there and seen it all, I bet. Um, so this might be an unfair question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. If you could pick one moment out of that incredible journey, that was one of your favorite, most gratifying moments, what would that be? I think back in the late 80s, I was working for a company in Cape Town here, and um, I was a sales manager, and um, we had a chap come in called Benno Robinson, who was a manufacturing consultant, and he, talked, he, he spoke to us about MRP2. Okay. And um, we spent the weekend with him on a course, MRP2, and at the end of the weekend, I put my hand up and said, hey, I want to be the project leader. <laughs> so that changed my life, uh, I think, and, and got me involved, because I said to Benno, I, I know nothing, what do I do? He says, the first thing you do is you join SAPEX, which oh, wow. I did. okay. I said, what's the second thing I do? He said, go to the conference, and that was number 11, and we're now on 45. And I've been to everyone. <laughs> and then he said, uh, then he said, get certified, APEX certified, and get involved. Mm. And uh, certainly we had a good implementation because of the manufacturing consultant I had and the software we had. I uh, got involved. Um, I became uh, involved in the chapter. We had chapters in Cape Town in those days, and I became the the um, the, the president or the mm. chairman of the Cape Town chapter. Finally got onto the council and the board of directors, and I've been president twice for SAPIC. So. Wow. Yeah. So. so a ton of growth for you, Ken, yeah, but absolutely. also a ton of service yeah. industry, and I appreciate that. You've had yeah. a big impact. Uh, Jenny Froome, who I've collaborated with for years, Yes. you are on her short list of <laughs> supply chain icons, so just so you yeah, know. She calls me the wizard. But yes, that's what I was going to let you say that. Uh, I, I thought I, I remember yeah. that, that, that uh, nickname. So let's shift gears here. So um, part of what you just mentioned, you, you're well a uh, well-known, highly regarded professional educator in industry. Mm. I want to ask, what is, you know, for all that work you've done, you know, giving back, helping others succeed, helping them learn, grow, and advance, mm. what is your why there? Well, I started my own business way back in the 90s, and um, my strategy was not to grow. And I've been very successful, it's still only me. <laughs> but I've collaborated with other people and I've tried to develop other people. And I, I, I like the sort of byline that SAPIX has come up with um, recently, which is elevate, educate, and empower. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've been doing over the last um, 35 years with SAPIX, is trying to elevate people, get them to understand 
what they should be learning in the, in the education, and then empowering them. At one stage, I was the APEX. Um, APEX has got a very good instructor development program. Mm. And I was the instructor development program instructor for Africa. Wow. <laughs> and at one point, we had more APEX instructors in South Africa here than any other country in, in the world, apart from America. Mm. Uh, and so I've spent a lot of time developing other people to go out and do what I were doing. And people say, aren't you crazy? You're, <laughs> you're giving away your business. But I think the more people that are out there doing this, the, the, the more business is going to be. So that's been my strategy is to, as, as Suffolk says, elevate people, educate, and, and then empower them to go out and do what I do. Yeah. yeah. Industry is better off yeah, by absolutely. taking that approach, yeah. right? Um, all right. So I want to, speaking of you as a practitioner, you also as an educator, um, what is one supply chain principle or best practice that you wish more leaders mm -hmm. out there, uh, practitioners, organizations, what you wish they embraced more? Education. 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 <laughs> you know, I go into companies and I speak to the supply chain manager and he's got no qualifications. And top management really don't understand what's happening in supply chain. You know, they've worked their way up through the ranks and uh, got to this particular level thinking they know everything. You know, they, what we did 30 years ago worked, so should work today. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see a lot more education. I'd like to see top management going out and, and getting educated in supply chain. We should be seeing these people at our conference here. We tend to get sort of middle management coming in, but top management, uh, very little. So I would say... Top management, getting themselves educated, right. and then educating their employees. Yeah. And, and it's out there. I mean, the education is there, but very, very few people are actually doing it. And it's yeah. quite kind of tragic, really. Yeah. So I would say that's the main thing I would like to see happening in industry, education. So business leaders, write those checks, <laughs> right? Get your people educated so they can yeah. digest change better, um, yep. succeed uh, more effectively, and yep. and. Drive change, because yep. to yep. your point, we can't continue to try to do things like we did them 30 years ago, no. right? It's totally changed. Um, all right, so let's keep moving forward. So you've called, again, I think I mentioned on the front end, Cape Town has been home for you for mm. about 40 years, yeah. right? Um, and you've looked, worked globally across yeah. the industry. But what is, as you think about here in Cape Town, South Africa, really across the African continent, Right, I think 46 countries make up Africa. A bit more than that, but is it, is it, is it more it's than about that? about 50 odd, yeah. It's about the same number of states that you've got in America. Okay, yeah. all right, well, very, so very close. <laughs> and and the, the important thing there is, is it's, it's folks from different walks of life, different mm. preferences, different customs, right? Just like the U US, you've got 50 yep. states, you've got different governments, you've got different people. You know, it's uh, one of the key things that's come out of our uh, podcast series with Jenny Froome, mm. you know, where we focused on uh, supply chain leadership across Africa, is you can't look at Africa in a singular fashion. No. You've mm. got to really look at it town by town, region by region, yeah, country absolutely. by country, right? Yeah. So when you think of that, all of that, that's quite a backdrop. <laughs> when you think of all of that, Ken, yeah. what is one thing that you wish more folks, what's maybe a two-part question, one of your favorite aspects of this unique supply chain ecosystem across Africa? And then maybe what's one thing that you wish more folks knew yeah. about? I think what I like about Africa is the diversity. 
and the diversity of the people and the cultures. And we've got some great people in Africa. I've been involved in some implementations through a number of African countries. And we've got some great people out there. We've got, we've got a great continent. Mm. Um, I, I reckon Africa should be the next USA, the United States of Africa, okay? We've got that potential. Unfortunately, we're not getting the investment coming in from the rest of the world, mm. and we're not getting that education out there either. And so we have huge potential. We've got the land, we've got the youngest population of any continent on Earth. We've got minerals for Africa. Mm. And unfortunately, those minerals are disappearing and being beneficiated mm. by other uh, continents and other countries. So we have huge potential here. Um, and I, I saw that when I first arrived, and that's why I stayed. I just saw a lot of potential. And um, yeah, we've just got to get our leaderships mm. to come together. So, so um, you're seeing some of it realized, but there's so much more opportunity, oh, right? Huge, huge opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm with you. The innovation, the brilliance, uh, the opportunity all here across, uh, across Africa, it's, it's been uh, really rewarding to mm. be in a position and to help share some of that uh, out across the globe. So let's bring it back home to the conference, your 35th mm. Safe Picks <laughs> conference. That is something, Ken. You've got to write a book on all those experiences. Um, yeah. So what is, so, so far, so I know we're early on in mm. the 2023 conference, um, but what's one of your favorite moments so far, inspiring moments, you name it. Let's put in one of your favorites. Well, I think the first session that we had this morning on um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, th this is something that's going to uh, improve our supply chains. Mm. Uh, I'm involved in some software and we're putting a lot of this in. Um, uh, our software leader there sees, he says the supply chain should be like an aircraft, you know, 90, 90 odd percent of the time, the computers are running the aircraft. <laughs> the, the pilots only put their hands on the controls when there's a problem or they want to go around a storm. And we should, uh, we should be running our supply chains like that. And, and I think uh, we're getting to that point where we can start applying our minds to the problems we have rather than deciding, well, what shall I make today or what shall I buy tomorrow, you know, and the computers can organize that. Let's, let's spend our time trying to improve the supply chain and uh, fixing the events that are happening, yeah. Yeah, particularly in our VUCA world, of course. Mm. You know. Our VUCA world. I, <laughs> so that's one of my favorite acronyms that came out of, uh, I think, the U.S. military. It did, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so help me. Vague? No. Volatile. Volatile. <laughs> so VUCA, V-U-C-A is an acronym yeah. that Ken's yeah. referring to. Volatile. Uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Yeah. So if you hadn't heard the acronym, you can use it like me every day and try <laughs> to remember what it stands for, though, unlike me. Um, all right, so Ken, um, I, I knew we were just going to be scraping the surface of all that you do and, and um, have seen and witnessed and what you're trying to share and, and educate and help others. So I appreciate the, the, the few minutes of time, but I also really appreciate the optimism Mm. And all that you see here, if to your point, if we can get folks to come together, yeah. right? That, that's what's old is new again still, right? Um, so if folks want to tap into all the cool things you're doing, whether in industry as a mm -hmm. practitioner or as an educator or as a volunteer leader within you know, the SAPIX community, how can folks connect with you, Ken? Well, probably email is the best, and that's ktitmus at mweb.co.za. So that's K-T-I-T-M-U-S-S -S at mweb.co.za.
or they can come to the conference, and I'm sure they're going to catch you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken Titmus, so uh, such a pleasure. I, know, I, this, I was looking forward to this because I'd heard so much about you. It's a pleasure to sit down and see it uh, and talk with you firsthand. So thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Scott. All right. Really enjoyed it. All right, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with Ken as much as I have. This has been a long time in the making. But folks, as we've shared with these other segments, Ken shared so much. I'll, I'll start with how he challenged leaders to focus on educating, education, write those checks, and get your team educated so they can, they can uh, prosper through these VUCA times that he also referred to. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now here at SafePix Annual Conference 2023 in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. And I'm joined by the one and only, as I'm learning, Dr. Andrew Brown. Andrew, how you doing? Scott, doing great. It's so good to see you. We've already, I feel like uh, we're second cousins after just you know, 10 minutes of pre-show conversation. Absolutely. Maybe brothers even. <laughs> Maybe so. You keep it live, you keep it real, and I think we're going to learn a lot from you from a, a, as a leader and practitioner. But I want to start with this, uh, a bit of your, your background. Mm -hmm. So you've built quite a reputation as a results-driven global leader, business leader, which mm -hmm. really, you know, I'm all about outcomes and action, right? Don't give me lip, lip service. So we, I'm sure we're kindred spirits there. You've spent a big portion of your career in the healthcare industry, right? So can you give me one role when you think back of your journey, right? And it might not be the fairest question, but, but for the sake of, of, of time here today, pick one role that really shaped your worldview. Thank you so much, Scott. And it's actually easy to find one role. Um, one year out of university, had the opportunity to be seconded by the Australian government to work for the Solomon Islands government uh, in the Solomon Islands in the Pacific for two years. Mm -hmm. And the focus of that position was to develop supply chain training that was suitable for the cultural context. That was 30 years ago. They're still using a hybrid version right. of that curriculum, and the first students I put through that are now running the country. Wow. And so this is not only inspirational, but drives me to continue working in this space. Wow, the Solomon. Man, that, that's got to be, uh, to look back at, at how you were at the, uh, the front end of that and how it's still being utilized by the powers that be today, that's got to be really gratifying and rewarding. Very rewarding, inspiring, and in a world where lots of things don't go right in development, yes. that's something I lean back on when I feel that things aren't going so well. Mm. And I bet you strike me as someone that, as much as they appreciate that, you recognize we still got to drive more change today. We can't keep, right? Absolutely. A lot to do. One third of the world's population still don't have access to medicines. Oh, man. Okay. So let's, that's a great... Uh, a pivot. I hate using that word these days. Mm -hmm. it used to be one of my favorite words back before the pandemic, and now it's, it's such a cliche, right? But let's segue a bit. Um, so you serve today as Senior Principal Technical Advisor with the USAID-funded MTAPS program. I get all that right? You got all that right. Okay. It's a big mouthful. We have a big job to do. <laughs> it is a big, really big, uh, noble mission, big job to do, and we're going to dive into that more. So that stands for the Medicines, Technologies, and Pharmaceutical Services Program. So tell us, what does that mean? What is the, what's the mission there? Okay, well actually, I'd like to pull a trick out for you. Okay. And ask you, how can you tell if that medicine is of quality? How yeah. can you tell if that's counterfeit, substandard, or medicine of quality? I do not know. Then the next question is, how do you know how to use that medicine, for what ailment, and for what purpose? If you want to use it after you don't know it on, on the front end of what it is, right? I mean. 
Okay. So, so this, the USAID funded MTAPS program is a global program that's looking at how to strengthen pharmaceutical systems to improve the availability and use of quality medicines. Mm. The US government's focusing that program on low and middle income countries where the burden of disease and the burden of inequity is the greatest. So we work in 15, 17 countries across Africa, Asia, and a little bit in South America, yeah. and we're focusing on pharmaceutical systems. What does that mean? For that medicine to be of quality, um, governments need to have regulatory systems. Right. Those regulatory systems determine the standards and the quality of medicines, what medicines can come into the country, what can go out of the country, what medicine can be used by whom. This involves legislation. It involves governments and improving capacity. And for that, two big countries you're doing that in are Mozambique yeah. uh, and also in Nepal, for example. Yeah. Another area is improving procurement systems. Mm. Uh, in the Philippines and also in Jordan, we've been working closely to improve transparency as well as the speed and automation of those systems to improve the use of uh, available funds. Mm. And lastly, and probably most importantly, yeah. we have a program that's focusing on improving or reducing antimicrobial resistance. What's that? We all have had an uh, antibiotic from time to time right. uh, for treating an infection. Uh, globally, this secret pandemic uh, is resulting in medicines not being, uh, antibiotics not being able to be effective. And what our program is doing is working with governments through the health system to help them understand about the use. So pharmaceutical systems goes from regulation through supply chain to get to the product from where it's manufactured to the facility, yeah. and then works with uh, local health practitioners to ensure they understand how to diagnose patients and use that medicine properly to improve health outcomes. Mm. If we're just focusing on the product from A to B, yep. in health, we're doing half the job. Yep. We need to improve health outcomes. And with one third of the world's population not having access to quality medicines, mm. this project is of great importance. Huge, uh, critical importance. So I, I, I like that, what you just painted there, uh, from regulatory to supply chain to, to healthcare practitioners. You know, kind of the rules to the execution and distribution and then some um, to uh, educating uh, the practitioners in, in, in how we use uh, the medicines. Um, so we're gonna talk about one of your favorite wins thus far, but, but out of those three or four things that make up the mission that you just explained, the critical mission, What's one of your favorite aspects of the program and, and, and where, you know, where you're most involved perhaps? Yeah. So programs come and go, funding streams come and go. And one of the things that I really like about what we've achieved is working with local governments and local systems from where they are and moving them on into the next increments of maturity mm. so that those governments, those local organizations are now taking, are more empowered to continue with their development after we've finished. Uh, so a good example uh, would be, again, coming back to the Jordan example, where uh, the Jordan government wanted some expert advice on how to make their procurement systems more transparent and faster. And so now the time to purchase medications has reduced and the amount of money they're using for the volume of what they're getting, still quality, mm. has also improved as, as one example. So it's, for me, the biggest example is around getting alongside those government institutions and helping them to take control of maturing those systems for the benefit of their people. Yeah, I love that, making them uh, better, helping them progress, right? Uh, the steps uh, come to mind, right? As you go from uh, the, the earliest parts of, of uh, trying to figure out what we're we trying to do 
to moving to you know, getting the root cause and solutioning and building the right system, and then through optimi optimizing that system mm -hmm. so no one's left behind. And they feel empowered and educated that they're doing the right thing with the decisions yeah. they make in, in the communities where the medicines are going, right? Absolutely, and one of the other key factors is we're at a supply chain conference, right? So people often think about medicines, just show me the medicine and I'll get it where it's going. Mm. So one of the other key foci for this particular project, which again I really like, is that we're opening up the understanding in governments that medicines availability is not just about supply chain. Mm. It's about coming back, how do you know that quality is there? It's about that regulation and that whole system. And yes. so that's also been exciting to see people wake up to that. Yeah. If I can circle back to one other thing you mentioned, um, antibiotics. Um, because there's, there's been certain, as we've worked our way through the pandemic and then the post-pandemic, you know, the use and sometimes the overuse of, of antibiotics is, is sure. continues to be a challenge. It sounds like part of y'all's education is working with those practitioners to make sure that, that we're using those the right ways and at the right times. Is that right? Yeah. So it's actually a, a multi-stakeholder approach. Um, so at a national level, it's a national whole-of-government approach, which interestingly involves the uh, Ministry of Health, but also the Ministry of Agriculture, because antibiotics are in the food of animals right. and needs to be looked after, and also um, the Ministry of Public Health. And the reason there is, is that microbes can grow in certain sort of environments in communities when they're not controlled. So there's that whole-of-government approach. But then there is the health facilities. They need to be clear on their processes and how to use, how to regulate antibiotics. Not everyone should be using them, prescribing them, et cetera. And then you're right, down to the practitioners themselves. But then there's more to that. One of the key things we're looking wait, at- there's more. There is more. <laughs> journalists. So in uh, three or four countries, we've conducted um, seminars for journalists to not only understand um, antimicrobial resistance principles, uh, but mentor them in doing radio programs, um, mentor them in doing articles for newspapers to really try and educate the public. Uh, and it's really this whole of stakeholder approach for antimicrobial resistance that's gonna make, it, make a difference. And you're right, the pandemic was a, a key aspect of that because people go, fever, ill, antibiotic. Right. But we have to go, no, antibiotics do not kill off viruses. Mm. And so, yeah, education. I'm so glad I asked that question. And, and, and your last part of your response there, context. Right, everyone needs context, including the folks, especially folks maybe, that uh, puts out the articles and shows that that um, educate you know the the, the global uh, global consumer base. Mm. Let's you shared a few wins mm -hmm. uh, and outcomes from the program uh, a little a few minutes ago. If you think of all the work you've done, right, uh, with this USAID funded MTAPS program. What's your favorite win, your favorite outcome that you're, you've seen in your time? So probably my, my favorite one is um, exploding the myth that capacity strengthening is training. Mm. So often if you talk to people about how do we, we improve a pharmacy system or a supply chain system in the country, and they immediately go, we need more training. We need to get more skills in there. But building complex systems, building the different components is much more than just training. Mm. And we've been able to open that idea to help people understand that uh, pharmaceutical systems and the training required to build those systems is important, but there are other elements in order to, to strengthen systems. Are the standard operating procedures in mm. place? Is the right equipment present? And do they have the right number of people? And how are those people being supervised and looked after, for example? Yep. So it's this whole of system thinking, which I'm really excited we've been able to, to open that. And 
that pharmaceutical systems are more than just supply chain. Mm. So you've, you've made a lot of gains in, in creating that awareness around uh, battling maybe those, those assumptions, those myths when it comes to uh, creating the systems and the workforces, mm. right, required, uh, especially in the healthcare space where the table, the, you know, what we're fighting for is life and death, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so let's keep going down the path of, of workforce education and development because mm -hmm. this clearly is a key passion for you. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Andrew, uh, your ears have been burning because Jenny Froome has really, I've learned a lot about you before we even met. Jenny, Fro Jenny Froome is one of your biggest fans, by the way. Well, I'm sure, I know she is. <laughs> I know she is. I'm not quite sure how to frame that because um, I was about she to has a, a time where she spent as a young girl in Australia. And uh, as I came over, I said, what is it that you'd really like me to bring for you? She said, Vegemite. And so I brought her a half kilo of Vegemite just to make sure. But um, yeah. uh, I love that. All right. So let's talk more. Again, workforce education development. You've mm -hmm. touched on this in a couple different ways in your responses thus far. But um, if you think further, what are a couple of the most important elements maybe you haven't mentioned when mm -hmm. it comes to building uh, and developing a robust, vibrant, scalable, um, uh, proficient supply chain workforce? What comes to your mind there? Yeah, and I just add sustainability in there as well, and you've got oh, all the it. right adjectives. Right. <laughs> um, apart from the, the training aspect we've already spoken about in general, um, the, the broader aspect is that both private and public sectors are lacking the resources they need to run supply chains across all product groups. Right. Health supply chains particularly, but we tend to look at the needs of those environments separately. But if we take a step up, we need to be taking a whole of labor market approach when it comes to workforce related issues. What do I mean? Well, again, in a market driven environment, we're talking about the workforce, we're talking about supply. What are the education institutions professional associations, what are they doing in terms of supply of appropriate credentialed individuals suitable for the local context? Mm. And the other side are the private sector organizations and governments asking for the right people with the right competencies to do the work. Mm. And what does that look like? And how can that be catalyzed? And we've been involved with our project with work with people that deliver, looking at their professionalization framework, uh, looking at using a competency-based model to help bring the supply and the demand actors together yep. and to think about what's required in a country context to really catalyze. Why is that important? Because supply chain personnel are not only important in health, but in other supply chains and one of the limiting factors for economic growth in a number of countries in the Africa, uh, various regions in Africa, is the lack of human resources to build the supply chains. Mm. So it's that bigger thinking. Yeah. Um, you mentioned people that deliver. Mm -hmm. Man, what an incredible organization. Mm. Uh, we've spent a little bit of time with uh, uh, Kofi and Dominique earlier, mm -hmm. and they shared, you, you mentioned that professionalization. Uh, Dominique in particular shared uh, how she was just back from Rwanda mm -hmm. and where six countries had gotten together and agreed to uh, the professionalization framework that PTD was uh, deploying. Yeah. That was a big win. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I've been involved as a, a technical expert inputting into that and other documents of people that deliver uh, since 2013. Actually. Really? So this is my 10th year anniversary of wow. focusing on this space. So to see that development uh, is uh, fantastic because these labor market changes of which the professionalization framework discusses involves not only Ministry of Health, but Ministry of Labor, Ministry of Public Service, professional associations, and a whole bunch of systems change 
which is going to take time. Yes. And ex extremely excited about what happened last week. And it can't be one party driven. It's, nope. it's got you got to bring everybody, all the stakeholders, into the dialogue and the conversation, and then figure mm -hmm. out how to commit to taking the action that's needed to get the outcomes we're after. Um, and all that sounds simple, but man, there's so much work, as yeah. you know, that goes into I mean, that. From a development perspective, a lot of the development projects which we're part of have three, five, one-year life cycles, depending on the funding cycle of US government, Global Fund, or others. These types of human resources system changes in country contexts take 10, 15, 20 years. Wow. So it's a concerted effort over time mm -hmm. to have that sort of systems-based change. Um, all right, so let's let's shift gears as we start to come down the home stretch here. Um, this is, I think, your second SafePix conference, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, so, and then we're early. But what has one, been one of your favorite in the last couple of days? One of your favorite, most inspiring moments for SafePix 2023? Yeah, I mean, great question. I'm just sorry that it's just one, <laughs> even though it's like a day and a little bit in. So, my big one is, hang on a minute, supply chain. And what's required in supply chain, it's not just health, it's not just coal and minerals. Supply chain and what's required is across all of these sectors. And so what I've been inspired by is to take the time to learn from what other sectors of the supply chain community are doing to improve their supply chains and to improve their workforce. So that for me is a big takeaway after uh, probably a bit over 24 hours here. <laughs> well, you know, it's such a, it's such a big one, uh, that, that cross-sector knowledge exchange that can take place if folks and leaders of these different sectors really don't do what the traditional thing is well that might work over there but we're special we're unique and we, that that kind we of are, thinking we are special yeah scott that kind of thinking really is can be so limiting and and in this era that we're in this digital era uh, where you know we're applying so much technology but but of course powered by the human factor and we've got to really come to the table and bring sectors together and figure out what's working and how we can solve problems using old and new ways from our own sector, but many others, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Breaking down the silos is a real thing. We talk about it, yes. but it takes a concerted effort to do it. So yes, this is a, a new thing on my to-do list. A deliberate, concerted effort. You're absolutely right. Silo busted. Um, okay. Dr. Andrew Brown, we have had a pleasure learning from you and talking with you here today. I really appreciate uh, what you're doing to really make things better for industry and, and so many individuals and families. Um, how can folks connect with you, maybe, maybe even get involved in supporting the good mm -hmm. work you're doing? Fantastic. So um, our project has a website, um, mtaps.org, okay. um, and that's the front page there. Um, this project is conducted under our NGO, non-government organization called Management Sciences for Health. On the website, our explanation of what we do, uh, but also we have the opportunity if uh, uh, people want to contribute to the larger mission, that that option's open and we would uh, welcome any discussion. Thanks, Scott. Outstanding, that's NTAPS, M-T-A-P-S.org. I get that right? Perfect. Okay, and they can also connect you with you on LinkedIn, I bet. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Andrew Brown. Really appreciate your time here today. Scott, it's been a pleasure. Hey everybody, Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now, here once again at the SafePix Annual Conference 2023 in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. And joining me today in this home run segment here, we have Tobakele Omalo. 
Did I get that right, Tubbs? Listen, I'm, my heart is smiling. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Well done. That, well, that, that, makes, that makes my day, really. Uh, you know, we, we, we chatted pre-show for a second about how important it is as we come from all walks of life Absolutely. to get names uh, and, and get, the, the, get the little things right. Absolutely. It's really important. And I appreciate that. Well done. All right, so let's get into some, pl some supply chain talk. How's that sound? Oh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Tubbs, you've been described as a, quote, well-seasoned supply chain professional with a passion for supply chain, people, and Africa's potential as an emerging continent full of opportunity, end quote. I love that. Uh, so many parts about that. And I can tell you, for the little bit I've known uh, Tubbs here, it is 100%, 200% true. So what excites you the most about what's taking place across Africa? So, so Scott, if I, if I think about that question for a second, I think overall my excitement comes from just knowing the potential mm. that Africa has to be a key player um, in the global landscape, yes. right? And um, if I think of it within a supply chain context, supply chains usually thrive in environments where there's, there's infrastructure, mm. where there's market access, where there's um, an entrepreneurial spirit, innovation, um, technology-driven um, ideas yes. and, um, you know, transformation. And if we look at Africa, where it is right now, there's a lot of parallels. Mm. We look at the, um, you know, young growing population um, that is also very ready to, to take our country forward, that requires those skills yes. to take our country forward. We look at um, the, 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 the natural resources that we are just rich um, uh, and, and fully um, have available to, to extract, to process and, and export uh, commodities. So it really shows that we've got a very rich environment to tap into various opportunities uh, where supply chain can really serve as a catalyst in, in harnessing that. Um, there's so much, um, if I look at also just uh, some of the uh, regional integration that's taking place through Africa free trade um, agreements. Yeah, right. That's, that's all about harmonizing trade policies, uh, creating a single uh, marketplace, uh, breaking down some of those trade barriers. Like mm. I said, those are some of the key um, uh, factors that allow for supply chains to thrive, uh, which I think really contributes to, to my overall excitement in terms of just some of the major uh, changes or mm. transformations taking place in the overall continent and how supply chain is aiding that to actually take place. So a number of them. Quite exciting. I think it would require a separate interview right, right. <laughs> to cover them all. But I think all I'm saying is that the opportunities are there. Uh, we're seeing that shift. We're seeing a lot of uh, startups um, that are you know, meeting local needs. We're seeing a lot of urbanization uh, that's also taking place, requiring the infrastructure mm. uh, to be able to engage, to digitally engage in mm. this new economy, et cetera. So, wow. What it, is I there think not this. <laughs> Right? So an exciting, an exciting um, um, era to be in. It is. Uh, and, and, you know, touched on one of those many things that are coming together yeah. um, is the, the ideas and innovation, the sheer Absolutely. brilliance of the people. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, um, of course, I've been collaborating with Jenny Froome for a couple of years now on uh, supply chain leadership across Africa series, yep, yep. trying to amplify some of yes. that uh, yes. thought leadership innovation. Yes. But you know what? It's coming. Yep. The world's going to sit with. They don't know now. Yep. You know, they're, 
it's coming. Yeah. That's an exciting thing. No, really absolutely. Is. Absolutely. Um, and I love, of course, the regional free trade progress that's been made to break down those barriers absolutely. that can hold us back. Yep. You know, yep. whether it's in trade or, or you know, you think about some of the other silo busting yep. that's got to take place, yep. like more from a, a business and enterprise standpoint. Of course. Lots of parallels, of course. right? Of course. Of course. Okay. So uh, let's, let's keep going on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have to um, have you come back for a six hour follow up <laughs> interview. Uh, you've held a variety of leadership roles in both the private and public sector, mm -hmm. right? From supply chain to solution design to project management, which has had a resurgence in, I think, in relevancy and, and criticality uh, in recent years due to all the change we're all digesting and faster. So I want to ask you in particular, though, about the power of design thinking, right? Design thinking. So how do you see design thinking as a powerful tool for unlocking real supply chain innovation? Um, so Scott, we, I actually ran um, a workshop um, on, on this topic um, yesterday. Uh, it was an afternoon session and um, you know, obviously just co-facilitated with a yeah. design thinking practitioner. Yeah. And um, if, if, you look at, if we look at supply chain mm -hmm. as a whole, Problem solving is the bedrock of what we do on a That's daily what we basis. Up for, absolutely, right? absolutely. On a daily basis, we are expected to resolve issues, address challenges, etc. Yeah. But within that problem solving, we're seeing a massive shift towards being a bit more customer centric. Mm. Because now we're in a period where the customer is a lot more empowered. Uh, given the information that's available right. at their disposal, um, you know, the ability to have a lot of options that you can tap into. I mean, I know that if I purchase something on um, an online platform, I want it as in yesterday. Right. Right. So we with, with that, absolutely. Yeah. So with, with that said, with that shift towards, you know, satisfying the customer, design thinking offers a... Uh, a, a solution-based approach um, to solving customer problems. So it brings in that human element. So if you think about innovation, why are we innovating? Mm -hmm. We're innovating because we want to give our customers a personalized experience. We want to give them products and services that are tailored right. to their needs yep. and their requirements because that's in essence what's going to make make businesses thrive and you know achieve a sustainable competitive yes. advantage it's no longer about where we've traditionally just focused inwardly on improving our processes making mm -hmm. sure which obviously it's, it's quite important making sure that you are using resources in a way that is effectively and efficiently uh, you know uh, possible in terms right. of meeting the need in the market but now it's all about what does the customer truly want? What do they really value? And that's serving as the trigger in terms of how those supply chains are designed and engineered in meeting that uh, need. So if you shift away from that traditional approach of problem solving, which is very much uh, uh, um, you know, logic-based, data-driven, right. The data is now shifting to empathizing with the customer, which is what design Empath thinking. Isn't empathy a beautiful thing? Absolutely. <laughs> because through empathy, you are better equipped to understand how is your customer really using your product? Mm. Um, how do they, what experience do they get from your service? And how do you further harness that to make sure that you are constantly providing that unique experience? So, um, sure. <laughs> 
I could I could go on, oh, no. but um, if you look at the process of, of design thinking, and you pro, uh, like I said, um, you know, um, compare that to traditional approaches, um, it looks at empathizing with the yes. clients, defining what the problem is, what's what's the gap. Um, and then ideating. So let's look at the different options mm. that can actually solve some of those gaps. Um, let's prototype some solutions that or products. Let's, let's experiment yeah. and see what, 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 what will help us achieve that sweet spot and then being able to test that. So following through in that iterative process till you finally find, like I said, the sweet spot in, in serving the customer. So yes. I think as supply chain professionals who are using innovation as a catalyst um, towards this huge shift um, around creating an unforgettable experience for our customers, um, being able to, um, you know, uh, provide seamless um, 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 services, um, use data-driven insights to understand consumer behavior and then better be equipped to provide services and products that are aligned to that. It's, it's, it's an absolute marriage. I love it. And, and I want to go back. You shared so much there that we could tee up a new episode for various aspects of your for response. Sure. I want to go back to something you shared, the, that mass customization, because that's what we, what we have to meet these days, right? And here, get this example. As, as we were flying here from Amsterdam, long flight, I think 11 hours, right? And uh, I, you know, when, I, when I first started flying 20, 30 years ago, if you remembered, everybody had to watch the same movie, mm. right? There was maybe mm. two or three yeah. screens per <laughs> cabin. And that's what you're watching. You didn't have Absolutely. to. You could try to go to sleep, and you didn't have to wear here. No, but that's what you're watching. Limited options. Yeah. And now, as I as I pinch myself for a moment and kind of had, kind of, uh, you know, you stop yourself and don't take for granted what you're observing yeah. in the moment. I looked around, and of course, everyone's got their own screen. Yeah. They're all watching different stuff. Some for, for some folks are on their laptops. You know, using the Wi-Fi that of course for them. Of course. What each passenger wants, what each passenger's, what their problem, individual, yes, what they value. Yeah. And that's, that's part of what you're, you're sharing. It's mass customization. We're all charged yeah. with uh, figuring out and unlocking, yes. right? Yes, yes. And what better way to do that through the design thinking process, yes. which I think, look, um, like I said, there are traditional approaches to problem solving that have been very effective right. in the supply chain space. So the two can coexist. I think there's quite a lot of strengths that we can leverage from, from both approaches. Agreed. Um, all right. So moving right along. Um, so you've really enjoyed, and I think core to your MO as a leader, um, is, quote, making the human dynamic a central part of the process, end quote. Right? I love that. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, in this technology centric era we're in, what's powering that is the human factor, right? So Absolutely. it might be technology centric, but at the same time it's human centric, Absolutely. right? It can Absolutely. coexist. Absolutely. So what are a couple suggestions that you would have for supply chain leaders that are looking to better engage and empower their people? So, um, you know, Scott, if I obviously bring in my experience, um, to your point of having worked with different teams, individuals, sure. um, and what has been some key success factors. I think communication is key and, and transparency. Yep. So I think within a team, it's, it's always very important to lead, for leadership to, to foster an environment where there's open dialogue, where there's collaboration. Why are we doing certain things? Tobbs, how does your work 
impact the broader objectives. Um, I think that is very key because it provides a sense of purpose and, and direction. Yes. Right. And it also fosters a, um, an environment for trust. Um, another thing I think is also quite key is, you know, being empowered as an employee. Are you as a leader providing your team with the skills and the resources that they need mm. to be great? and absolutely great in what they do. Yes. So I think that's very key, and you've already touched on in terms of just the whole shift uh, you know, towards technology, being a digital economy, digital transformation, et cetera. I mean, uh, there's so, many, so much jargon around this. Um, being, being able to be equipped with those skills to, to navigate this exciting era, right? Um, and also that, that level of autonomy, yes. the sense of accountability, you know, Feeling that your your manager or your leader trusts you to do yes, the work. Yes, and make decisions. I think that's very absolutely right. make decisions. Um, I think it's 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 quite important to always acknowledge that your your employees do need that kind of freedom um, to be able to share their ideas, share their insights, yeah. and absolutely feel that they are allowed to do that, and not only only be successful, but also allowed to fail, because from failures. We as have critical learning. Absolutely, right? And sometimes we also even refer to them as setbacks. How do you then um, bounce back from that? So I think it's very important to create those. Those are very key factors um, in terms of, you know, making the human uh, dynamic central to whatever it is that leadership is trying to achieve. Um, and, and lastly, I think just also an element of sense of humor. <laughs> I think we are far too serious. <laughs> Uh, hey, and I'm cynical. You. Sometimes, you know, we need to have leaders that have a bit more, <laughs> a lighter side to them. I think um, there's, there's too many problems that we obviously navigate as professionals in the business world. It's a very tough industry to, to navigate, especially supply chain. So having that ability where we can, um, you know, just be able to just um, laugh at ourselves sometimes. Yes. Um, create that environment where we're able to joke and you know, throw in some light-hearted comments. Um, it really just also just contributes to the greater morale um, of the team, being able to have fun while obviously achieving some critical objectives that you know are tied yes. to the bigger picture and vision of, of any organization um, that you work for. So I think those are some of the key aspects. And lastly, what I want to also just highlight is what I'm also personally also still trying to, to really uh, uh, work on is to actively listen and provide feedback, mm. right? So how often do we, as, 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 as leaders, really engage, but also listen? Yes. Um, and, and listen to the frustrations, um, understand what are some of the triggers, what is bothering um, our team members, our colleagues, etc., and being able to provide constructive feedback that also leaves them empowered in terms yes. of uh, progressing. So. I think what those are great, some nuggets. <laughs> like I said, I'm checklist. also still learning some of the elements, but I think just from personal experience, what I'm also currently going through as, you know, I also work to, uh, um, you know, becoming a, a, a future leader and um, having worked with um, diverse uh, teams, mm. I think those are just some of the nuggets I've also been able to extract from my experience. I love it. Been there, done that, proven best practices. Sure. You, you shared a checklist there. I want to revisit just a couple. Yeah. Um, you ever, so I've got a, a, a wonderful uh, colleague that when, when my brain, as I start to gather a problem from our team mm. or whatever, 
and my brain automatically shifts to problem-solving mode. Do you ever have to call timeout? Let's don't solve it yet. It's no solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to what the real problem is. Absolutely. Does that resonate with you yeah, too? Yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, so I love that comment about the active listening and Absolutely. you don't have to respond right away. Exactly. The other thing, you shared so much goodness in terms of how to engage and empower the people. Mm. But what you also touched on there is, um, is leveraging technology and technique yeah. to make it easier on the workforce that has so much pressure on them right now. So much pressure, right? well said. And, and you were talking about how make them enable them to make decisions right because that's what yep. we as humans want exactly right exactly and then my favorite part is maintaining that sense of humor absolutely because when you hear laughter yeah it usually means good things no absolutely right? absolutely um and it doesn't mean you, you don't have to turn in your professionalism card no, for sure you know for you, sure. <laughs> everyone wants to laugh everyone can use that as a sense of, of dealing with the pressure that comes with absolutely. being in supply chain absolutely right? absolutely well said. wonderful well no you said it i'm just uh, regurgitating um lo love your perspective yeah um okay so we're still here, you know, ha uh, almost at the end of, I guess, day two at the SAPIX annual mm -hmm, conference. Mm -hmm, um, I bet you've had plenty. I bet you have, have, ha have enjoyed many conversations. I bet you've also uh, uh, been the catalyst for many great conversations, yeah. right, yeah. based on the workshop you yeah. were a part of. Yeah. What has been one of your favorite, most inspiring moments so far at SAPIX 2023? So, so Scott, um, you know, I currently work for IQ Business and SAPIX kind of has been that launch pad for us to, uh, you know, be in these relevant spaces, which I think SAPIX um, has, has done exceptionally well mm. in terms of the entire supply chain community. So the reason why I bring that in is being an exhibitor obviously comes with a lot of responsibility. You don't really yeah. have the luxury of being able to attend most of the presentations. Sure. but. I did have an opportunity to present, um, uh, or rather attend, the executive summit that started on Friday. And if I could just maybe already share what that, how that has inspired me as a yeah. professional is that we obviously had various speakers from different parts of the world just come and share quite a lot of perspective um, around various topics, sustainability, having a skilled workforce around supply chain, um, you know, um, you know, various issues that are obviously mm. putting so much pressure on us as professional uh, supply chain professionals, risk management, um, your your business strategy and its alignment to your supply chain operating model. Mm. You know, key strategic decisions around that. And I think if I had to kind of articulate um, what has inspired me from those conversations is the the collective enthusiasm and commitment mm. of supply chain professionals in using supply chain as a mechanism uh, um, towards contributing towards this economic transformation or even just developing the economy and making an impact um, um, on people's lives. And I think that's, that's been very inspiring. Mm. The reason why I say that it's, I came into this industry, I've think I've got now over 10 years. And when I first started, supply chain really, logistics wasn't really appreciated as a profession. Right. And I'm saying 10 years later, finally people understand finally. what we do. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I think with, with those conversations, with seeing how supply chain is really becoming a strategic imperative and just the topics surrounding that for me has uh, been very inspiring. And like I said to you, um, with, with our organization currently being an exhibitor, yep. you obviously have to be- uh, Two places have, at one exactly, time, Exactly, right? you have to be wearing quite a number of hats. So I haven't really had the luxury of also just experiencing, um, but obviously there are some presentations that I've earmarked um, yes. um, uh, tomorrow. But um, I think so far, just that, like I said, that, that collective enthusiasm and mm. commitment as to supply chain to take action yes. um, and to do better and to yes. try new things and to make this work. I think that's been extremely, extremely inspiring. That is inspiring, uh, for sure. It inspires me. I'm ready to run through this wall back behind yeah. us here, uh, <laughs> Tubbs. All right. So um, you mentioned IQ Business, yep. right? Yep. And of course, uh, you're exhibiting. You're also involved in the workshops. Um, let's make sure folks know how to connect with you and the team there in case they want to uh, talk shop, mm -hmm. work with you, be inspired by you. Who knows? Yeah, so absolutely. How can, how can folks connect with you? So um, folks can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am available on LinkedIn. Um, that's the only social media platform. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good way to live life. How's that for somebody who's talking innovation, right? <laughs> uh, but yes, people can connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also available. We have our booth um, downstairs, just cross opposite sure. uh, Sapix and the bar, strategic oh, okay. positioning. Uh, <laughs> so they can find us there. Um, and I also have my email address um, at tingomalo. It's, so it's tingomalo at iqbusiness.net. Okay. Um, so happy for that to also just be shared with, with um, the viewers or the listeners. Um, so yeah, that's basically, that that it's just that easy to get in touch with me. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Tubbs Omalo, thank you so much for your time here today. I've really enjoyed the truckload of uh, perspective and insights from doing it, yeah. uh, from being that practitioner, being that leader. Uh, I really, in particular, love your take on uh, design thinking yeah. and how to empower and engage the workforce. It's gold there. Absolutely. So thanks so much, Tubbs, for being here today. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You really bet. appreciate it. You bet. <laughs> well, if you can't tell, we've had a great time here today enjoying the perspective. I tell you, Tubbs brings a ton to the table. So hopefully, but, but the critical thing, as we've been encouraging each of these segments, take something that Tubbs brought here today and put it into action, right? Deeds, not words. That's how we drive change in industry, right? That commitment to action that Tubbs talked about, that was one of her inspiring moments. Um, but whatever you do, hey, check out Supply Chain Now wherever, wherever you get your podcast from. And most importantly, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.